0: Good morning, everyone. Um, We'd like to ask that if you are able to stand to your feet as we read God's Word in respect for the power and authority of God's Word. Again, this is Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 41. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have, you done, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
1: See how smooth that was? So we're in the season of Epiphany. What we're doing this year is we are saying that as a church, the life of this church revolves around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so up until uh, Easter and even after that into Pentecost, we are celebrating the life of Jesus. And we're in the season of Epiphany where the church has historically celebrated the revelation of Jesus Christ as being the Son of God. And what we've said is that God is like Jesus And that's a profound statement, that that we don't have to guess what God is like, and we have to deconstruct what we think God is like, look at the pages of the Gospels, and see the God of the Bible. And, And today, I want to start with just a question, and it's one that I sort of posed on social media as well, but what comes into your mind immediately when you hear the word authority? Just immediately in your mind, when you hear the word authority? Um... If you're like me, probably bad, huh, right? Or um, I'm going to resist that, right? Whatever the authority is, I'm going to resist that. And it was interesting to get a lot of feedback. People said uh, a majority of um, just someone who is in charge. And then a couple of people were very honest and said when they hear the word authority, there's some, um, maybe some anxiety there just because authority hasn't necessarily been good to them um, in their life. I think when you look um, at society as a whole, authority is probably a little problem that we have going on in society. And I think the reason why is a lot of us, not all of us, but I think a lot of us, when we hear the word authority, we think authoritarian, right? And so authoritarian, and this is the Oxford English uh, definition of authoritarian, relating to or favoring blind submission to authority. Blind submission to authority. Now, uh, parents, look up here. You've dropped the authoritarian card before. Do you know what authoritarian phrase is? Because I said so. Right, right? What's, what's that? That is the veto card, okay? This conversation is done, and the decision has been made, and you now must submit to this, right? Authoritarian. And, and I think the reason why there's um, a resistance to authority, and this, this isn't going to be popular, um, is, is because of another word autonomy 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 means to self-govern that um the the ultimate authority within your life is you're looking at them, me right it is me when i look in the mirror that is the ultimate authority in my life and that is autonomy to be an autonomous individual is to be an individual that is self-governed and uh, i think that's a problem That goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, where our first parents, Adam and Eve, rather than um, submit to God's authority, wanted to be autonomous individuals themselves. And from that moment, um, nothing's ever really gone well for us in humanity. But today, in our passage, it was in there twice, did you hear it? It's, uh, it's, it's authority. They, the question that's asked is when Jesus is preaching verse 32, and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. Authority. You see, listen. Um, if God is like Jesus... And many of us have a broken view of authority. And I think what a lot of us think what it is to follow Jesus is just this blind submission because he's the guy. And, I mean, have you read Revelation when he comes back? Like his robe's dipped in blood. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. Like, I'm just, I'm just going with that guy, okay? Just There's not really love there, but it's just like, a, oh, I think I should probably do that. And so, um, and, and question, how's that going? how's the hope and the love and the joy and the peace that you read in the rest of scripture? You see, uh, I think the thrust and the thesis today, what we see in this passage is this, that the answer to our sinful autonomy is Jesus's beautiful authority. And and, and that phrase, beautiful authority, is what I had immediately when I read this passage. And, and that's the phrase that I want to stick with you today and and through this week. Beautiful authority, because in in, in my life and in my understanding, those two words would just never, ever go together, right? Beautiful authority. And for some of us, we're like, hey, I don't have a problem with authority um, as long as I'm in it, right, okay? But what we're seeing is, is a different picture, because if the thrust is, who is this who speaks with authority? Look at what Jesus does with his authority, he speaks good news, he heals the oppressed, and he heals the sick. This is a different kind of authority that the world's never seen before. That, that this Jesus, that, that this type of authority should be attractive to us. And so my prayer for, for us today is that um, our image of who Jesus is would, would change forever after today. And we're going to give you a time to to respond at the end of the sermon in a very specific way. But let's get into it. The first thing that we see is this, is that Jesus uses his authority to announce good news, right? So we've been following this, that that Jesus has been in the synagogue in Luke's gospel. And so Jesus preached his first sermon there in his hometown, and they tried to kill him, Right? (laughs) He was like, hey, I'm going to preach a sermon. And they were like, get out of our town, tried to drive him to a cliff. Now we see Jesus preaching in a synagogue and a demon happens and it's just crazy. It's going to get weird today. You ready for this? All right, it's 9 a.m. Hopefully we've had some coffee, all right? But look at what Jesus says if you drop down to verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. And then here it is. For I was sent... For this purpose. Um, I love this. Jesus, what he says right here in his own words, self-identifies and says, um, I've been sent to preach the good news. Now, when you study the word preach in the scriptures, there's multiple words. But, but the best word, I think, it, it, it's the one that Paul tells Timothy to, to preach the word. It's the one that Jesus uses is Caruso. Say that. Turn to your neighbor and say Caruso. Right? Caruso. Um, that means to herald and to announce, right? So Jesus um, isn't just like, Jesus didn't get in the synagogue and go, "Um, today, I would just like to share what's on my heart with you, right? Jesus wasn't down for the share talks, okay? Um, Jesus said, thus said the Lord. He keruso man. Jesus preached. And and what was that like? That was probably pretty cool to, to listen to The son of God, the the word of God, preach the word of God. And he says that he heralds and announces good news. Good news of the kingdom of God. Hey, listen, we can draw an application right now from from that. When you think of Jesus, and when you think of Jesus speaking into your life, do you think of Jesus speaking good news into it? Because if not, then then you have a wrong image of Jesus. Jesus. Because Jesus says, my main message, Jesus says, is to preach good news. And and people are astonished. They're like, who is this guy, right? Who is this? Because back in the day in the synagogues, um, rabbis would stand up and basically they would just sort of ramble. Um, Not a lot's changed in a lot of other pulpits across America today, okay? So they would say things like, well, so-and-so says, and and what we think is, and then this rabbi, and then what he says, and we don't, we don't, we don't. We don't really know. We don't really know. But but this is what tradition sort of holds true. Eh, wrong. Jesus comes in and just thunders, man, and says, good news. But why is it good? Why is this authority that Jesus has to announce good news? Why is it good? Maybe this will help as an illustration. This is a picture of John Grisham. Um, You probably have a Bible in your house and a book written probably by Danielle Steele and John Grisham, okay? You probably have seven of them in your house. He is by far um, one of the best-selling authors of all time. He has sold 275 million books. Here's what's interesting about John Grisham. John Grisham does not do book signings at Barnes & Noble or any place like that. You know why? Because they wouldn't have him do book signings when he wasn't famous. They only wanted him after he was famous. One of John Grisham's favorite bookstores in all of America and all of the world is found in Blyville, Arkansas. It's no longer in business. I used to go there with my dad. It's called That Bookstore in Blyville and it was right there downtown. She, the owner, was one of the first people to ever have this young author from, by the way, Jonesboro, Arkansas, come and do book signings there at her bookstore. I actually went and uh, heard John Grisham read one of his own books with my dad. I, I got to go hear Charles Dickens' great-great-great-grandson read The Christmas. It was just incredible right there in Blyville, Arkansas, just that bookstore. And, and let me tell you. It's a lot different. It's a lot different when John Grisham is reading John Grisham to you, right? It's just an incredible moment to be a part of. Um, When Jesus stood up in the synagogue and, and read and preached, here's the reason why the news is good. It's good news because the author of the book has arrived. Jesus is saying, this is what's good. The prophets prophesied concerning me. And those days that Isaiah and Malachi and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and all the way back when God spoke to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and said that the the seed of your offspring will crush the enemy's head, this has now arrived. So listen, when we read this, when we read this, we do not read it as a dead author wrote it. But the very God who inspired these words lives and breathes today. And so when we read this book, it it reads us. So Jesus has the authority to announce good news. Why? Um, Because the author has arrived. But not just to proclaim good news. But the second thing that I see is this, is that Jesus has the authority to free the oppressed. Um, This is where it gets weird. So we're just going to dive right into that. Jesus is in the synagogue. And, and here it is, verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. <laughs> when I read this, I was like, are there clean demons? <laughs> like one time, the Popper Bluff newspaper um, had front page, bad batch of heroin comes to Popper Bluff. Could you let me know when a good patch comes? <laughs> like, what? What? Right. Well, listen, um, Luke is writing to, to the Greek world primarily, um, and, and people who are not of uh, the Judaism background. And so in, in the Greek culture, there was good spirits, bad spirits, this, that, and the other. So, so Luke, I had to study that myself, okay? So Luke is writing to a certain audience, and he says that it is the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice. So the, that ha in verse 34, that's awkward, right? Ha! Ha! Jesus, okay, um, that's an editor's effort, and what that means is there was just a loud cry, okay? So there was a loud cry. There was a disruption in the service, and then this happens. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, and and by the way, there's there's a plurality of of language. What have you do with us? But then there's the singular. I know who you are. Um, you're the Holy One of God. And then Jesus rebuked him, strong words, saying, um, be silent. You know what that actually means in the original? And uh, Martin Luther translated it in the German translation, a uh, shut up. I'm just, okay, right? Um, hush your mouth, okay, right? That's what the authority that Jesus has. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. God get it? It's 2020, right? Um, Elon Musk is sending cars to Mars and all this type of stuff. And we're the product of the enlightenment, which means that if logic and reason cannot answer it, then then it must be mythical and untrue. Um, To which I would also lay down on the table, I believe that that's probably one of the grave errors of society today, is that we are mind, body and soul. And there are many answers in many societies in many ways who've tried to answer that mystical part of us. Um, But the Bible is very unapologetic about this. Luke records and mentions demons in his gospel 23 times. 23 times. So what we know from scripture is, is that God created everything good. And then at some point, and we get to peek sort of behind the curtain sometimes in verses in the Bible, we see that there was a rebellion within God's creation of the angels. And that there was an archangel who who desired to have his throne above what we believe to be Jesus's. And it says that he tried to lead a rebellion against God and then took a third of the angels with him. Okay, I know this sounds crazy, okay, but it's just what the Bible says. and, And we just believe that here. And then the Apostle Paul picks up in Ephesians and says that we wrestle not against just flesh and blood, but against spirits and powers and rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That there is a real darkness that is present in this fallen and broken world. And so what I want to do is just take a few moments to look at from this passage what we can get and understand when it comes to diagnosing the darkness or the demonic. The first thing is this. The demon was in the synagogue. The demon went to church, right? And and when I read that this week, I thought, wow, that that is a word for us. Oftentimes, um, Christians in the church think that all the evil exists out there. Out there. And some of our theologies, we were raised with this scary understanding of like the Antichrist and this, that, and the other, and the anti out there. But we're never really fully honest with maybe the darkness in here. And, and I would be um, very naive to think that there's not darkness in some of your lives who are in here today, just like is happening in this scene. And so we see that, that, that it's there in the synagogue. But, but the second thing is this, is that apparently it looks like nobody else knew that he had a demon. So a small town where we're at, this guy's probably been coming to church a lot back and forth. Nobody else knew this guy had a darkness present in his life. And one of the key tactics of the enemy is isolation is to isolate you. That's why we have community groups. That's why we want you to serve. That's why we want other people involved in your life because we believe that the, one of the greatest powers of sin is that it blinds you from its very power in your life. And so nobody else knew that this was going on in this man's life. But then we see this. Um, the demon acknowledged Jesus' authority. One of the things that we'll see In Luke's gospel, as we study this all the way up past Easter, is that some of the people in the gospels and some of the um, greatest theological statements in the gospels come from demons. What? What? Right? It says that you are the Holy One of God. That is a very specific title. Very specific title. And in the book of James, it says that, that even the demons believe. So... So what's the difference? What changes? Well, I like what um, J.C. Ryle said. He said this. Let us never be content for us to know religion with our heads only. We may go on all of our lives saying, I know this and I know that and I've memorized this and sink at last into hell with those words upon our lips. And let us see that our knowledge bears fruit in our lives. Does our knowledge of sin make us hate it? And does our knowledge of Christ make us trust and love Him? Does our knowledge of God's will make us strive to do it? And does our knowledge of the fruits of the Spirit make us labor to show them in our daily behavior? Knowledge of this kind is really profitable. Any other religious knowledge will only add to our condemnation on the last day. And we are in the age of information. That produces no transformation. And so when we look at this, we have to ask ourselves, the knowledge that we have, does it lead to these things that the bishop just said to us? So we see that that they acknowledge that that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And by the way, Jesus was just in his hometown, remember? And, And they rejected him there. And we see that Even the demons know this, but the last thing is good news. Um, The demon was powerless in the presence of Jesus Christ. And, And it's interesting, it's almost like a submission already. Have you come to destroy us? And by the way, we see no more demonic activity in the pages of scriptures than we do in all four gospels. In all four Gospels. Because listen, when the kingdom of God pushes back darkness, there is opposition. And I'm not trying to say this in a condemning way. But many of us in this room, when we position ourselves around the people of God and under the word of God, things get tougher in our life. And we wonder why. Oh, it's just this never works out and this thing never goes. Listen, may I just lay as a suggestion down on the table today that there is an opposition against you in your life. But the good news is that it is powerless in the presence of Jesus Christ and that Jesus uses his authority and his power to free those who are oppressed. And then I love this. This this meant so much to me in verse 35. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out of him. Here it is. Having done him no harm. You see... um, Jesus uses his power and his authority like a surgeon, not like a butcher. And and when Jesus comes in and pushes back that darkness that's in our life, there there is a level of pain and there is a level of hurt that's there, but it is so gentle in a way. One of the prophecies of Jesus, it's, it's found in Matthew, says this is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. He will not quarrel or cry aloud nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Do you know what that means? A bruised reed he will not break. Some of us in this room feel like that if anything else is laid on our shoulder that we will snap and there's nothing else that I can bear in my life and I can't come to Christ with that because there's nothing more that I can bear. That verse is an invitation that says, oh no, come Bring that to Jesus. And no matter the amount of faith that you have. See, some of you were taught a lie that said that you have to have strong faith in order to come to a strong Savior. And no, no, no. You can have the weakest of faith. Picture a little coal. A little coal that is getting ready to be put out. And there's hardly no light on it at all. But there's just a little bit of heat. And for some of us, that's the picture of our own heart and our own relationship with Christ. And if a strong gust of wind comes, it will put this right out. And what this verse is saying is that that's enough for Jesus. That even that little bit, right before it feels like it's getting ready to go out, that Jesus uses this power and this authority in such a gentle and caring way. And listen, I would just challenge you, if if you're a non-believer in here, if you're someone who's sort of peeking over the fence at Christianity, listen to me, I challenge you, show me any other religion or anybody else in history who yields authority and power this way. It is what just compels me with the person of Christ. Who else does this? Who else does this? uses their authority to free the oppressed and other people? And then the last thing that I see in the text is this, is that Jesus uses his authority to heal the sick. We get this scene here at Simon's house. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law, and by the way, some of us grew up in a tradition where it said that, you know, a priest could, could not be married because of... Simon Peter. Well, Simon Peter had, had a mother-in-law, and so we see that that's not historically true. So you can work that out on your own. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, bless your soul, okay? It was with a high fever. In the original, that is, it's extremely high. It's a death, and there's no Tylenol, okay? There's no um, little boop that goes across the forehead, okay? That doesn't exist, right? It's a high fever, and check this out. They appealed to him on her behalf. Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends that bring you closer to Jesus? You better surround yourself with people like that, where you're so downtrodden that if it was left to you, your faith would smolder and go out. But there are people that are around you that appeal to Jesus upon your behalf. And then we see this. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve him. That's the response. That's the response to Jesus, right? Is, is not just being healed for healing's sake or because I don't want anything else to go wrong in my life because, hey, guess what? Peter's mother-in-law still died at some point. Lazarus, when he was resurrected and brought back, still died. So the idea of a theology of healing that just so nothing bad happens is poor in and of itself. Because in the end, the goal of following Jesus is Jesus. It's just Jesus. And the proper response to that is when we get this in our life is to turn right back around and to serve this Jesus. And then we see this. And now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases... Brought them to him, and, and this means so much to me. And he laid his hands on every one of them, and he healed them. And demons also came out crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Every, I mean, picture the scene. We're in a small Middle Eastern house, one level dirt floor um, this is, this is crazy to think about. And the pressing in, how long did that take? Every one of them, everybody got their moment with Jesus, right? And then he says, um, I, I have to go to some other towns because ultimately what he's doing is he's going to the cross where <laughs> ultimate healing and salvation will take place. You say, Jason, do, do you believe this? Um, I do, I do. And I believe it by faith. I believe that there's a level of rationalization and, and logic that, that we can pursue and go through. But here's what I do know. For, for all of God's children, healing happens in the end. And sometimes, sometimes we're granted with a peek behind the curtain. And we see miracles performed in the name of Jesus Christ. And then, and then sometimes, the healing doesn't happen. I'm not... I don't have a hallmark thing for you right now. But what I do know is that God is good then, just as he is in the healing as well. And this is, this is what we see about what's so compelling about Jesus, is that his authority and his power, he proclaims good news, that he frees the oppressed. So, so I want you to look at this picture, um, how Jesus uses his authority. Is, is that your image of Jesus? speaking good news into your life, healing the sick, freeing those who are under bondage and distress. Here's what we want to do in closing today. We want to be very specific and we want to be very obedient to the word of God. I said in the beginning that we're going to give you a time to respond today. And here's what we want to do. We're not going to take communion directly right now, but we're going to have some people come forward in just a moment when I call them forward. And, and we want to do this. This is going to be a crazy concept, okay? We want to do what Jesus did, and we want to invite you to come forward and and to be prayed for today by some of our community group leaders and some of the leaders in the church. And here's what we want to do. We want to lay hands on you, and that's nothing weird or crazy or this, that, and the other. We believe, number one, Jesus did it. Number two, it's a sign of intimacy, to be very close and to touch and to say in Jesus' name. And there's some specific areas that we want to pray for you in your life. We're not so naive to think that we want to pray that maybe if you have darkness in your life, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's something, maybe it's in somebody else's life as well. We want you today to come and appeal upon their behalf in the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe it is sickness, maybe it's suffering, maybe it's confusion, maybe it's doubt, whatever that is. But we want to give you an opportunity to be prayed for in the name of Jesus. And listen, I know what we think. If I come forward, then this person, that person, and this. Hey, listen, Jesus heals what we reveal. And and some of you have been praying, God, do something in my life. And I just think that what we're trying to do is create an intersection for you to be able to position yourself to experience the power and the love and the authority and the intimacy of Jesus Christ. And so, Wes, would you stand to your feet? And I'm going to pray and give us a time to respond. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and Holy Spirit, we just pray that through your power that you would draw those. um, As soon as certain things were on that screen, people said that that's me, or that's my son, that's my daughter, that's my grandchild, that's my grandson, that's my mom and dad. Jesus, we are so compelled to see your authority. It's not something that you yield to suppress, but it's something that you steward to free people. And we just pray that that would happen today. God, we pray against the enemy, his workers and their effects, for we know what we've just seen in your word, that when good news is proclaimed, that the enemy comes to still kill and destroy. We pray against that today. Ultimately, what we pray for is that somebody would fall deeper in love with you today, Jesus, because you are not dead, but you are alive you are raised and the grave is empty and the throne is occupied. And through the proclamation of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit, we beg and ask to experience that today. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ.